Hello and welcome to episode 21 of Batman Nightcast, the podcast chronicling the comic book adventures of Batman's penis from the late 1980s and beyond. I'm Ryan Daly. <laughs> and I can't, I can't talk. Uh, <laughs> I'm Chris Franklin, I think. <laughs> and in spite of a very lengthy delay between the shows, you know, we're still kind of riding high from the good vibes from the last episode, uh, hoping that momentum will carry us through our coverage of not one, but two issues this time. Of course, we are talking about Batman issue 410, which continues the reimagining of Jason Todd's origin as Robin, written by Max Allen Collins, and Detective Comics 577, the third chapter in Batman Year 2, drawn by Todd McFarlane. We certainly appreciate any thoughts and prayers you want to send our way. Uh, Before we get into our coverage of these stories, Chris, aside from uh, seeing little Bruce in all his glory in the comics, what else has been going on since the last time we did one of these shows? Uh, Well... (laughs) Well, I guess Batman got stood up at the altar. That's one thing. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, you know, that just makes when, – when that happens and the guy just goes around, forgets to wear underwear, <laughs> you know, walks through his walks through his house buck naked, you know, with this bat of wang sticking out, you know. So <laughs> it's just <laughs> – oh, wow. I hadn't heard that one. I made that up, I think. Oh, I, nice. I don't, I, I, yeah, I was, at, I was at the comic shop talking to – uh, Steve that runs the comic shop at Heroes Realm in Lexington, Kentucky, and uh, we were talking about it back and forth, and and Battlewang came up, and I just <laughs> kind of like, hey, that was that was pretty clever of me, so I've kind of stuck with it. So. I like that one, <laughs> Battlewang. <laughs> See what you're missing, Selena. See, yeah, exactly. Now everybody knows, you know. Of course, I guess you know in the new Fifty Two issue number one, she found out, right? So I mean, oh, there you go, yeah. <laughs> Uh, this oh, is fun. such Todger <laughs> stuff, DC. Come on now. I, uh, speaking of that, I mean, not to get on that. We don't. We, we've got plenty of other stuff to talk about. But, but really, how did they not know? I mean, who at DC? I, I, I think this was a. I, I'm not a conspiracy nut. Uh, you know, a theorist really. But I kind of think this was maybe all a big publicity stunt. I, I mean, I don't see how you could not think that this was going to cause a stir. And DC was so quick to like, you know, scrub what the, you know the book and. And and put out a version that that it was photoshopped over or whatever that you know or whatever they're doing that yeah. it just it all seemed like it happened way too fast and it was kind of orchestrated to me I, I could be completely wrong but that's my that's my uh, gut feeling about it anybody who works there who didn't realize like like the the fall <laughs> fallout of that would be doesn't deserve to work there um, and right. I have every every confidence that uh, was it Brian Azarel who wrote the story or whatever that he was just like yeah, yeah I'm writing this for the shock value of it. Yeah. Um, other other Batman stuff. Uh, since the last time we did an episode, I actually finally watched the Justice League movie. Oh, you did? Yeah. What did you think? I did not like it. <laughs> <laughs> I did not hate it. I just I I thought it was kind of dumb, and I thought that. Batman was maybe the worst part about it, basically because that Batman did not fit in the type of Justice League movie that Joss Whedon was making. That Batman was the Zack Snyder, grim and gritty, like uber, like dark and conflicted one that I absolutely hated from Batman v Superman. Mm-hmm. And with all of the changeover and the changing direction and, and trying to lighten up the tone and make it a little bit more funny and a little bit more accessible for 
classic fans like the, the the change that they made and everything. I was like, you're leaving this Batman in the dust. He does not fit in this world anymore. Um, I was like, you, that's that's kind of a, a a tight balancing act to make a serious Batman fit in a world with a jokey Flash and stuff like that. And I just I didn't think it really succeeded very well. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah it's kind of it's kind of you know it's that moment when you know at the end of BBS when suddenly you know Bruce is is the president of the Superman fan club all yeah. of a sudden, you know, and it's, it, it just, it just doesn't work. I mean, when you set him up in the way they set him up in that movie, which I am totally against the way they portrayed Batman in BBS too. And, uh, but yeah, the, to do the one eighty, but then there's still remnants of that same, it's still the same actor. It's still the same mm-hmm. look. And, and so, yeah, it is, it's justice league is one of those things. It's, it's the type of movie the tone it was going for is what I wanted to see out of a Justice League movie, but they they really didn't earn it, you know, because right. of what they had done before. And and you can't help but compare it. It's like I've always said, it's just so undercooked. It's like thrown together. It's not the effects are weak and and half done and half rendered. And it's just you you watch that. You can, I mean, it it had this semi it had this small grace period before Infinity War came out where it was more acceptable but now that infinity war has come out it's like yeah that was really yeah no not so much (laughs) i mean i still like i still like aspects of it and i still think there's some good in there but yeah it's it's just such a flawed exercise just way too many cooks in the kitchen and and the one kind of cook was you know it was a it was a family restaurant and he was you know making like bar food over in the corner or something, you know, Zack Snyder. And so it's like, you know, uh, it just, yeah, not, yeah. Oh, well, let's move on. Talking, yeah, let's move about, on. <laughs> talking about Batman 410 and Detective Comics 577, both of these issues had an August 1987 cover date. They would have hit the stands in May that year, actually. Uh, Chris, what else came out from DC Comics that month? Action Comics number 591 had Superboy punching out Superman on the cover, which was like, how's this happening? Superboy doesn't exist anymore. And even if he did, how can he punch himself? You know? <laughs> so that was one of those, uh, one of those wow covers. And then we, we begin to learn the convoluted post-crisis origins of the Legion of Superheroes, uh, even though it won't last very long. <laughs> right. right. All the changes they made to Superman's history. How long did it, how long did that last? <laughs> yeah, not very well. Uh, also, uh, just, uh, some things that I, I happen to like, uh, Secret Origins number 17, which I covered on the previous podcast. This one has, uh, Adam Strange and Dr. Occult. Two eh, fairly decent stories, not, not great. Um, but this one I always single out because I think this is my favorite cover of the entire Secret Origins run uh, mm. by Kevin Nolan. And I actually have a signed copy of this that was given to me by a listener. And now I don't remember which listener it was. Oh, shoot. It might have been Russell Burbage. It might have been Russell, like Russell. It might have been Dr. Ainge. Somebody gave me a, a copy of this issue signed by, by Kevin Nolan. And it, I, I really love this cover. So, yeah. I apologize to whoever gave me the co- the copy that I can't remember your name right now. But um, uh, also the same on Secret Origins number one, which had the Doom Patrol and Captain Comet, which was the first Secret or uh, no, the Batman villain special was the first Secret. But other than that one, this was the first um, Secret Origins book I ever read. Oh, cool, cool. Uh, I have to point out we see uh, Captain America number three thirty two. That begins the epic storyline where Steve Rogers is forced to quit. Yep. 
uh, as Captain America and John Walker becomes Cap. And uh, that's a great cover by Mike Zeck there with Cap standing there with the flag, like bleeding. That's a that's a really strong image. That was a great storyline that uh, eventually the Bat books will pretty much rip off for Nightfall. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Green Arrow, the Longbow Hunters, number one came out. Uh, Ooh, yeah. yeah. Um, The Shadow issue one uh, by Bill Sienkiewicz and the Shadow trade paperback by Howard Chaikin both came out. Oh, wow. Um, A few other just kind of random ones. Iron Man 221 featured the ghost as the villain. Uh, The ghost, a very different version, was the villain of the this past year's Ant-Man and the Wasp movie. And I think I think we mentioned the start of this the last time, but. Who the hell knows what we covered in the last episode? Um, G.I. Joe issue 62 and Special Missions number 6. That continues the Gulag story um, with some of the Joes being captured and Outback's escape to get back to the United States. Oh, cool. Yeah, I always liked Outback. I thought he was a cool – I had him. He was a cool action figure because he was the the survival. Didn't he have survival written across his shirt, I think, or something like that? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I got a, a shout out to Shag. Uh, Justice League number four uh, features uh, when Booster Gold joins the team, and I always thought it looked like the logo was covering over that guy's naked butt <laughs> and his naughty bits. Uh, <laughs> and it's just, it kind of if you look at it that way, you're like, okay, what what is Booster afraid of in this moment? You know, it's <laughs> there's some big naked guy standing behind me. It's like, oh, it kind of adds a whole other element to that cover. I don't know, uh, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and uh, one other one I wanted to point out, uh, Superman number eight. Uh, I think that's the secret origin of Michael Bailey, I think. I think that's the <laughs> comic that he bought. It was one of these during the whole Pocket Universe Superboy Legion of Superhero storyline that, that young Michael Bailey picked up off the stands and it made him the Superman fan that he is today, our own personal Mark Wade of the podcasting universe, mm. you know, so... <laughs> That's another one of those covers. That's uh, Superman kind of like lifting up, like Brainiac in his left hand with his right arm extended over his head, lifting up one of the other Legionnaires. Um, And this is one of those John Byrne covers that he has redone himself uh, at different times because there's also an X-Men cover uh, that's basically the same thing with Gladiator from the Shi'ar uh, Imperial Guard holding up a bunch of the X-Men. And I only remember that. I think it's a Fantastic Four cover. Yeah, I think there's there's one of those two. Yeah, because he's he's basically recreated the Fantastic Four here because you got Brainiac for Reed, you got Invisible Kid for Sue, Block for uh, the Thing, and Sunboy for uh, Johnny. So yeah. he's he's got the 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 Fantastic Four of the Legion there. So yeah, Vern <laughs> <laughs> liked to redo his own covers over and over and over again. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, good some good stuff out this this month. Yeah, yeah, there was a lot of good. Um, anything else you want to mention before we go on? I just want to say I'm talking about Superman a lot, but I always like that cover of Adventures of Superman 431 and Superman smashing the gun and Jerry Ordway's massive Superman chin. That is always really cool. So. <laughs> <laughs> and the Superman annual ah oh, with uh, the Titano, the the super ape. Oh yeah, yeah. When is the this going to be uh, in the movie? Yeah, that's. I mean, yeah. I mean, they could just do a King Kong Superman crossover or yeah. something, maybe. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we're going to take a short promo break, people, but we will be back in a minute with Batman issue four hundred and ten. Do not go away. I am vengeance. I am the night. I am. You Batman. need to take out the trash. I don't have time for that now. We have two podcasts I have to create a new promo for. What? Both JLU cast and Supermates? Yes. 
JLU cast where you and I discussed the Justice League and Justice League Unlimited animated series from Bruce Timm and company. And Supermates, our original show where we talk about all sorts of geeky stuff, including our annual House of Frankenstein series on classic horror films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. But how do we combine this into one promo? I have no idea, but it sounds like we're doing our original Supermates promo all over again. I kind of think we are, but hey, other folks kind of aped it, so it must have worked. Well, why don't you get to work taking out the trash, and I'll finish up. Great. So join us, Cindy. And Chris. On JLU Cast and Supermates, both proudly part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, found at fireandwaterpodcast.com and on iTunes. According to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, Batman 410 went on sale May 12, 1987. The book cost 75 cents and sported a cover by Steve Geiger that shows Two-Face holding a gun to Robin's head and using him as a human shield while Commissioner Gordon and the cops draw their weapons. The shadow of the Batman falls over Two-Face and Robin. Chris, what do you think of this cover? It's not a bad cover. It's, uh, I mean, it gets you to pick up the book because obviously Robin's in danger. And if, if you've read the last couple issues, maybe you're hoping this is where Jason gets it. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) no, no, all kidding aside. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's not bad. It's the shadow of Batman over top of him. You know, that's a pretty nice element. And, uh, you know, the characters look pretty good. Um, I, I, I think it's a, I think it's a pretty strong cover. Yeah. I actually I kind of like this one. I like the composition. I like the layout. Um, the image of Batman just as a silhouette, I think it works for this one. I like it more, actually, than the annual that we covered last time, um, where you just kind of see him from behind as just like a black wash over um, the images of Clayface and the Penguin. Uh, I actually think this is kind of a better use of the same type of idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I looked it up really quick. Um According to Mike's Amazing World, uh, Steve, this is Steve Geiger's only credit for DC. He did a couple of dozen covers from Marvel books, including Hulk and Spider-Man comics. Um, he did a handful of interiors, but not that many. And I wondered if it was like a pseudonym for somebody else, but I don't know. Well, I, I looked up, I remembered seeing a version of this cover that was different, and I can't remember where I saw it, but I did look it up online, and... The original cover uh, by Steve Geiger, did you see that before Dick Giordano inked it? Like he redrew, he heavily redrew the figures of Robin and Two-Face. Oh, and, uh, yeah, it, that it, doesn't it, sound it, like something Dick Giordano would do. <laughs> he's redrawing guns, he's redrawing, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you're the vice president or whatever he was, you can do what you want, I guess, yeah. but... Uh, yeah, the, the, and, and honestly, he some of the anatomy on the original cover was a little. Uh, Robin's head seemed a little small, and and the Two Face's head seemed a little big. He kind of he basically redrew the figures of them. I think he switched the gun, the uh, which which hand Two Face had the gun in. Uh, it's it's the same layout, but it's just like totally changed. And if you look real close, that's a very Dick Giordano Robin face. Yeah, yeah, it actually, yeah, you're right. Yeah, so so yeah, but it's. Uh, 
I know Steve Geiger. The only thing I really know him from is there was a Web of Spider-Man annual. I don't know exactly what year it was, but it was around this time, and it was one of those cool things Marvel would occasionally do that had like it was almost kind of like a who's who type thing. It had like fact files on different villains and Spider-Man's powers, and they basically recreated one of those old uh, "Here's how Spider-Man's powers work" from the from the '60s that Ditko had drawn, but he's in the black suit now and. And Steve Geiger did a lot of the pinups in that, a lot of the villains. I remember he did like a really cool Hobgoblin that looked really – it was pretty sharp. So I was kind of surprised we never heard a whole lot out of him. But yeah, and he might have – it might be a pseudonym for somebody else, but I, I don't know. Yeah. All right. Getting into the story. Batman 410 is titled Two of a Kind. The issue is written by Max Allen Collins, penciled by Dave Cockrum, inked by Mike DiCarlo, lettered by Todd Klein and John Costanza, colored by Adrian Roy, and edited by Denny O'Neill. Six months have passed since Batman picked orphan Jason Todd off the streets. For those six months, he has been training Jason in the Batcave, training Jason to master all forms of hand-to-hand combat, training him with weapons, even firearms, which Batman detests, and training him in the use of the Batcomputer, so a kid who didn't pass the fifth grade is a computer whiz. He's also been schooling Jason on the Dark Knight's rogues gallery, seemingly all of the Batman's foes, except for Two-Face. Jason asks why Batman has never talked about Two-Face. Batman shrugs it off like it's no big deal and recaps the villain's origin, how he was a crusading district attorney who was scarred by acid while cross-examining a gangster, how he took the gangster's coin and scarred it and now uses the flip of a coin to determine his criminal pursuits. What Batman doesn't tell Jason is that he believes Two-Face murdered the boy's father, Willis Todd. Later, Batman makes Jason the new Robin, officially, by giving him an updated version of the classic costume. That night, they meet Commissioner Gordon on the roof of Gotham Central. Two-Face has assembled a gang of a pair of criminal twins and sent Batman a hand of playing cards to announce his target. Across the bridge in Casino City, yeah, you heard that right, Two-Face flips his coin to decide whether to commit to his plan of robbing the Lucky Dollar Casino. The scarred side comes up, so Two-Face and the Roarin brothers hold up the guards transferring the casino's loot to an armored car. Two-Face shoots one of the guards, Casino Cassirity comes down on him, but he threatens to fire randomly into the crowd of gamblers. When Two-Face and his boys get outside, Batman has already disabled the Doppel brothers and their getaway vehicle. Robin takes out the Roram twins, but Two-Face draws a second gun and takes a woman pedestrian hostage. Robin convinces Two-Face to take him hostage instead of the woman, citing the fact that he's the second Robin, after all. Two-Face gets Robin in the car and starts to drive out of town, but the Boy Wonder manages to slam on the brakes and dive out of the car. Two-Face drives away, swearing to kill the brat at a later date. A moment later, Batman pulls up, having stolen a car less obvious than the Batmobile. Batman and Robin return to the Batcave, where Batman tells the boy he did a good job on his first outing as Robin. Jason decides to look up more info about Two-Face on the Batcomputer, and that's when he discovers the secret Batman was keeping, that Two-Face may have killed his father, Willis Todd. To be continued. So, Chris, what do you think of this story, which, as I will remind people, is written by Max Allen Collins? <laughs> well, you know, I'm going to put everything aside that we've had problems with the previous, like the selection of Jason and blah, 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 unless it comes, it pertains to this. This isn't bad, per se. It's just kind of dull. The story's dull, and I hate to say it, the art 
is very dull. The layouts are dull. The execution is dull. And this is Dave Cockrum. And Dave Cockrum is a fantastic comic artist, but this just seems very just uh, – it's very by the book. Just the whole thing just feels that way to me. Yeah. I mentioned this uh, on some of the other episodes that we've covered from this run. One of the biggest problems with the Colin stories, um, forgetting everything about like the style of writing or his grasp of the characters, things like that, I think maybe the biggest problem with his run in general is that the stories feel very old-fashioned, kind of. like I don't even want to say they feel like golden or silver age stories really because that's not it but like they they feel of a type like i mean he was coming from like the dick tracy like newspaper strips or something that's kind of what they feel like and Mm -hmm. if i could read these in isolation maybe it wouldn't bother me but i can't do that i have to kind of look at these in the context of the time that we're spending so much focus on with this podcast and this is a time like right on the heels of batman year one when the characters and the type of story you have is being revolutionized and looking at what's happening to Superman, looking at what's happening to Wonder Woman and all of these things and like this new updating of a lot of classic superheroes and these stories feel very retro, very reductive. They feel like we're going back to an older time that's not campy but very kind of... Dull, I guess. <laughs> I mean, you kind of said it. Yeah, it, it, there's just something about that. It's There doesn't seem to be a lot of energy about these stories. It just feels very kind of... They're not children's stories, but they're not really sophisticated enough to be adult stories either. Right. It's, it's kind of odd because, you know, Barr and Davis, in their run before year two, they were doing, very much doing, a modern take on the Bill Finger, Dick Sprang type Batman stories. But they had this it, – it, it was done in a way that made it hip and, 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 and fresh. You know, they, they felt like they were classic Batman stories just being retold for a modern audience, and they really knocked that out of the park. That's how you do it. Mm-hmm. You know, that – and this is like, I think, attempting – I don't even know if this is attempting to do that. I think this is just the type of story that Max Allen Collins is telling. I don't yeah. think he's I, – I think you're right. I think this this feels like – a Batman, a, a Batman comic strip, and and this is this is no offense to, I have the Batman comic strips of the '40s, and they've got some great art from you know they actually have some of the last artwork that Bob Kane actually supposedly did. Who knows if he actually did it, but we think right. he did it. Right, right. Uh, that Jack Burnley did some fantastic work on it. It's fantastic art and stuff, but a lot of the stories are just they're they're not as exciting as the comic book counterpart just because of the way that comic strip storytelling is done. And that's it feels like Collins is kinda taking that comic strip approach. I think you you hit the nail on the head there, and he's just put it in a comic book without thinking about the medium he's working in. Mm. Uh, that that it kind of feels that way. It's almost like this is a collection of comic strips that have just been pasted together with the art enlarged or something to yeah. a point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so and I and I and I just right up front I Mike DeCarlo's inks yeah uh, <laughs> I'm, I've never been a big fan and Mike DeCarlo is all over DC Comics in the late eighties I, I know <laughs> he, that name is not going away <laughs> anywhere and and speaking of that you mentioned um, we've got Dave Cockrum on the art this is the sixth story by Max Allen Collins that we've got to on this podcast this is also the sixth different artist he has been paired with. 
Now, now luckily, <laughs> this is the last one. Uh, Cochran will stick around for the next couple of issues. But, I mean, that's that can't help but hinder your enjoyment of, of a run or, or your creative flow if the art looks so different from, from person to person. But, yeah, and this was kind of like the same thing like with, with Ross Andrew in, in the previous one where it's like, Boy, you know, Dave Cockrum, I, 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 a lot of our fans and listeners will think of him uh, from the Legion of Superheroes. I mean, for, but for me, I mean, like, all new, all different X-Men, Giant Size X-Men 1. Like, he, you know, bookended John Burns time on that. You know, all of those characters. I love Dave Cockrum's work with the X-Men, but this just, I mean, it's 10 years later, but it just feels very bloodless and, and just safe. And maybe it was a thing where they, he was coming onto this book really late. Um, because they were juggling yeah. so many different artists and they didn't have a lot of time. Um, maybe Mike DiCarlo's art kind of softened or, or did some effect to it. I, I don't know. The arts and the storytelling just kind of go hand in hand. They just feel like, you know, there's not a lot of energy when you, I, I can't help it, but I'm again, looking at what's going on at DC, comparing it to the art that you're seeing in the Superman books with Byrne or Ordway or Perez on Wonder Woman or what you see like with a new Flash book or Captain Adam or stuff like that or, or Mike Grell taking over, the, you know, the Green Arrow world. Right. Uh, it's just, it looks so uninteresting. Yeah. But, <laughs> but with that said, it's not bad. It's not awful. I don't hate this. No. Um, I, I think, and maybe this is just my my sense of being worn down, I think since the dreaded 408, I, I really believe that is the worst of the books of, of, of this run that we'll cover, and they've been getting better. Uh, I mean, the, the Penguin that we read with the Norm Brayfogel art was, was probably far superior, um, and the art had a lot to do with that. Although I do think that story was pretty good too, but this is just, it's just kind of, mm-hmm. eh, eh, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's it. it I, I think you know. I know in Dave Cockrum's defense, he had a lot of health issues uh, in his later years, and uh, and it may have started here. Um, so around this time, and I I, I I I didn't look up exactly what they were, but I do do did know that he had uh, he had health problems that that seriously hurt his ability to uh, to work steadily in comics. That might be some of it. That might be why this doesn't live up to his all new, all different X Men, as you said. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, this isn't, this isn't bad. There's some things in it that continuity wise that we'll get to when we go through that's like, Oh no, wait a minute. But, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's okay. But like at DC, DC was like really, it, it was very exciting. It was very exciting to read DC at the time. I mean, I was reading them off the stands. There was an energy. I mean, that's something that as much as I gripe about crisis, getting rid of the multiverse when it didn't need to, and it was unnecessary, it did give DC a serious shot in the arm. And that energy was like in almost every book, but it's just not in this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh. All right, so, so you want to go, yeah. go break down a little bit? Yeah, yeah okay. and we don't have to spend a whole lot of time doing it, but we open our first couple of pages. We get um, Bruce's training Jason. We see they're training in physical combat. They're, like, sparring with each other. We see quick flashes of him training him with firearms, with, like, fingerprint detection, the computer, and all these things. And this is fine. I mean, like, we're, we're expediting. We're basically saying, you know, a lot of time has passed so that this kid with you know no real education who like no training and everything you know batman's got to whip this kid to be a believable substitute for well, i mean he'd never compare to what dick grayson had but you know he is he can he can go toe to toe and he can be the part of robin 
Um, what I noticed is that he's still calling Bruce Mr. Wayne at the beginning of the story. Yeah. Um, now that will actually, like, Bruce will correct him on this by the very end, but still, it's been six months living and working with the guy. You're still calling him Mr. Wayne? <laughs> it makes you wonder, did Bruce make him call him Mr. Wayne up until that point? <laughs> did he start to call him Bruce like three months ago and he's like, oh, that's Mr. Wayne to you, you know, or something? <laughs> You're not ready yet. <laughs> that's part of the graduation ceremony. Yet, you, know. you, yeah, you get the yeah. yellow cape and you get to call me Bruce. Yeah, I did like there was one there was one reference that probably no one reading now, unless you're our age. And I don't even know if you know this reference, but did you get the reference of a cowed Mr. Wizard? Um, Where is it? Let me see what page. I think it's on page two. And he says, uh, but there is a demystification, too, in these six months of training as a cowed Mr. Wizard turns a high tech crime lab into a kid's comfortable second home. If you, for those of you who don't know, Mr. Wizard was a uh, it was a TV show that I think it was on uh, maybe in syndication in maybe the '60s and and stuff. And it was a it was a guy that I think he was like a high school or something. And it was like a local. It started out as a local TV show, and and um, he would show kids like you know cool science facts. And it was kind of he was kind of like a grumpy Bill Nye the Science Guy in a way, <laughs> you know. Uh, it, and he was kind of a he was a, he was kind of a little bit of a gruff old guy. I mean, he wasn't mean with the kids, but he was just kind of you know he's with that old patriarchal type guy. But Nickelodeon picked that series up, and it was on Nickelodeon in the afternoons at the time this book came out. Maybe and, that's right, uh, because I knew that I did know the reference after you started talking. About it. I was like, that's that's familiar, um, but it would have been before my time. So maybe maybe I saw it on Nickelodeon. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, you might may have. Yeah, he was. It was. It was on. You know, there was like I can't. You can't do that on television. And Mr. Wizard were on yeah, in yeah. the afternoon on Nickelodeon back then. He'd come home and watch him. And it, you know, he he, 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 he teaches science stuff and how to do cool science experiments at home and stuff. Just basically like you know, in the next decade, Bill Nye the Science Guy did. So mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, what we do have like the the one continuity thing that just stuck out at me. So the giant penny is a replica of Two Face's coin. Now say what? <laughs> because later we see Two Face carving his scar into a silver dollar. Right. So that's a penny. I mean, this, it's like yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, it's like and that thing, you know. And, and and I mean, there's this dialogue back and forth. That Jason's like, and Jason's like, so is that a replica of Two Face's coin? And and Bruce doesn't correct him, and it's just like. Uh, the only time that, like after this now, we see that in the animated series episode Almost Got Him, uh, Two-Face has Batman strapped to a big coin. Yeah, that he's going to flip and crush giant him. Penny, the, yeah, the giant penny, he's going to flip him and crush him. And at the end, Two-Face is like, I heard they even let him keep it. You yeah. know, So that's where the giant penny comes from on the animated series. But in the comics, that had never been a Two-Face thing. And it's definitely not a replica of his coin. It's a penny. You know? Right. So... I'm sorry, this nerd rage, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Now, speaking of which, we see Thomas Wayne's Batman costume in the background on page three, which is like, wait a minute. (laughs) It sure looks like it in the case. So it's like, wait a minute, what continuity are we in here? Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we, Batman, you know, was talking to Jason, you know, he doesn't, you haven't told me about Two-Face, but then Batman just, oh, well, I just, it was an oversight, and he <laughs> yeah. starts telling him Two-Face's origin. Uh, you know, and and Batman's very quippy, he's got lines about, 
you know, his corrosive cross-examination and, uh, but dense acid test. And I'm like, ah, that doesn't sound true to like Batman would. I mean, this is a pretty serious event and, and Harvey Dent was his friend. I don't think he'd be quippy about him being scarred and turned into a psychopath, you know, but. Especially not in this my, context my, my where face, he's just, he's just trying to give the biographical detail to this kid. Like he doesn't. Right. Batman's like, I worked, you know, he, he did he wait at night? It's like when, when whenever we get to Two Face, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this line at him. You know, it's like it's like me and the Batawang line. Like I was waiting to hit that hit you with that, but you know <laughs> I don't think I don't think that Batman's like writing notes down saying ooh corrosive acid <laughs> test when I talk about Two Face. You know, <laughs> and 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 the ten ear department continues when Dent's questioning Maroney on the stand. The guy's on the stand, and Maroney's answer to Dent when he's questioning him, grilling him is get away from me. <laughs> You're on the stand, dude. Where are you going to go? Where's he going to go? I mean, you know, it's like, it's not like you can just turn around and walk out, you know? It's yeah. it's like, what? That's <laughs> I'm done talking to you, mister. It's like, no, that's not how trials go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, I, I did, how did you, what did you think about, um, Robin's new costume having a uh, light body armor in the blouse, he calls it, which I've never heard Robin's. I've heard it called a tunic, uh, you know, a shirt, but never a blouse, uh, which is when I see blouse, I think of a woman's shirt. I'm sorry. I don't think of a man's shirt. I'm just like blouse, really? But but yeah, so he's got a light body armor, but his legs, his arms and his head are still exposed. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So good. We're we're body armor. Be nice if you'd given that to the other robin too but uh, right yeah wouldn't that just solve the problem that he had with the other robin <laughs> for yeah. the storyline if he gave him body armor in his chest <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh man uh, yeah that that third panel with batman holding up the costume the whole thing together like with the cape and everything it looks like like an outfit for a toy doll or a girl like that's why you would call it a blouse like that seems like the appropriate thing to call it the way like it's just it looks weird holding the costume up like that when it's not on a body or a mannequin or something like that. It's just uh it's it's one of those things with that's that's so unique to comics is these things should not look good, but within the context some artists can make them look really good. I mean, some people can draw Robin and make it look great, make it look like, yeah, I can see I can see a kid wearing something like that. But like when you show Batman holding it up like that, Nope. Yep. No. That's... George Perez could draw the hell out of the Robin costume yeah, and yeah, make it could... look good and like make him look tough in it on a 19-year-old Dick Grayson. Yeah. And when he showed the costume like coming off, it it worked just like Burt Ward's costume. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was the the vest over top the green short sleeves and, you know, so I mean it he followed the Burt Ward costume to to draw from. So it it works that way, but yeah, when it's all yeah, it does. It looks like it's something off a Mego figure or something. Here, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Then we get the uh, Batman makes the introductions to Commissioner Gordon, uh, and Gordon kind of pulls him aside and says, "You swore you'd never pair up with a child again." And Batman says, "This child is older than both of us, not to mention tougher." It's like, yeah, it's it. Uh, Max, this is one of those things where suspension of disbelief, you can't hang a lantern on it. <laughs> you can't. Like, yeah. 
we'll we'll accept that Gordon will allow this cape vigilante to partner with an obvious child. Don't call attention to <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. Don't call attention to it. When you do right, that, yeah. when you do that, it's like Gordon's response should be, "I have to take you in now. I have to put these handcuffs on you. This is not right." right. Exactly. I mean, at this point, Gordon is just as guilty as Batman when when we all know Jason ends up dead, at least for 20 years or so. So, I mean, you know, and and 15 or whatever it was. So, I mean, Gordon is just as guilty because he is the authority figure. He is a policeman. uh, And and he doesn't just like you say, just slap the cuffs on Batman, take him in and just end this right now, you know, because and I mean, I will tell you right now. I mean, I have uh, my son, 17 years old and. The difference between like him being like a a mass vigilante and not that I want him to go out and be a mass vigilante, but him being a mass vigilante and then, you know, some kid that's like just entering middle school. I mean, that's a huge difference. I mean, it's like it's not a whole lot of years, but the development between I mean, that's obviously when we reach our maturity, you know, around that time. And so it's it's so just uh, yeah, it's just mind boggling. It's like. Just yeah, just shining a spotlight on this moment is kind of if he if Batman had kind of had Robin stick to the shadows and not really tell Gordon, you know, just kind of ease him into it or something, maybe, you know, or or, I I don't know what I don't know what would have worked at some point. I guess you had to just have that moment. But it just it the whole thing kind of falls apart around it, even with, uh, you know, body armor blouse, which I I I failed to mention. I was going to mention when we brought that up earlier. If Jason has a soft body armor, then why did the Mad Hatter shooting him in the chest almost kill him back in the Bar Davis run? <laughs> I don't I, uh-huh. <laughs> We talked about this back with like episode one or episode two, even though that came out after Legends, I don't think these are in the same continuity. <laughs> I think the I think yeah. most of I think the Bar Davis run is pretty much pre crisis, even though it came out like a year later. Yeah, even though we've got in the next issue, we do have the moment where it, it actually shows Batman like meeting Jason in the alley, although he's got like a nice pullover sweater on like like Davis always drew him. He's not dressed like a, in a you know, leather vest and a T-shirt, a pair of jeans. You know, he's yeah. not tough looking. Though. Yeah, we're all over the map, you know. So, yeah. Oh, uh, Another thing about the whole Dick uh, thing is Alfred in the Batcave keeps referring to Dick as the other Robin to Bruce. I'm like. Really, Alfred would refer to the kid that he helped raise since he was at least 13 as the other Robin, not Master Dick. You know, I mean, so that it's like just another slap in the face to the character of Dick Grayson, which continually gets slapped in his face, even to this day, as he's now being called Rick Grayson in the comic books at this moment. So that's Wait, another what? thing we forgot Wait, to bring what? up. What? You didn't know about that? No. Yes. Yes. Right now. DC has started uh, – Nightwing got shot in the head, and he's, like, missing memories and stuff now. And supposedly he's wanting people to call him Rick Grayson, R-I-C, short for Richard. And I and a lot of people – there's an article on 13th Dimension about it if you want to check our, our network buddy, Dan Greenfield's 13thDimension.com. He wrote an article about it, and uh, he thinks – and it sounds like that DC's trying to move away from having a character called Dick, you know, so <laughs> – so Rick Rick Grayson right now, and, and maybe it's just part of this storyline. And when he gets back up to snuff, he'll be back to Dick. But it does kind of sound like them, you know, trying to move away from having a character with the first name of Dick. So 
Yeah. <laughs> I just broke you, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> so... I keep thinking I can do this podcast and I can talk about Batman every week. And then they keep doing stuff like, we're going to give Alfred his own TV show. We're going to have Robin say, fuck Batman in the Titan, in the trailer for this new TV show. We're going to show Batman's penis in a comic. It's like, we're going to show Batman's dick, but we're not going to have a character named Dick anymore because that's it. Jeez, God, I'm done. Well, see that maybe that's what it is. Maybe they've already got a character. They've already got their dick now, so they don't need that. You can't call him that because that's what his name is now. <laughs> oh, sorry, I totally derailed this podcast. <laughs> I don't know how many episodes we're going to do, but we are going to end well before that. So. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. I have, and I mean, the other stuff they pulled with this—not uh, well. DC's done a lot of stuff. They did so much a couple of years ago to win back a lot of their old fan base, and I, in the last like month or two, they basically pissed that all away, in my opinion. So, you know, that's my opinion. If you guys are enjoying them, that's fine. But they've even the Superman books have—I'm kind of done with Bendis already. So it's like, no, I'm good. But we can retreat back into these books we don't like either. So. You know, it's, <laughs> Oh, let's get through find this book. joy. Let's yeah, okay. find, find it. Find it. Uh, find okay, joy. So Two Face has got to be some joy in here somewhere. Uh, two Face has two sets of uh, henchmen, two twins, um, a pair of twins, the Doppel brothers, obviously named after Doppelganger, and the Roram brothers, which is Mirror spelled backwards. Red rum. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I the dialogue is not good. <laughs> but it's you know whatever. No, it, it, I think it's funny that Two Face and the in his two want Two Face who's obviously wanted and the twins who are obviously wanted too are just standing outside of that casino in the street in Casino City, <laughs> like you pointed out, <laughs> and, and they're just standing out in the street talking about their plans. Like, did nobody notice the hideously scarred guy with the green half face and the weird suit standing there and doesn't he kind of i mean they instantly recognize him the guards do in the casino hey it's that two-faced guy yeah but outside you know he's just he's not they're not in the shadows they're literally standing out in front of the front doors of the casino (laughs) we jump to page 16 i think the top panel on this might be my least favorite panel in the entire book you've got three guards with their guns drawn pointing at two-face and the and the twins and he's got his gun drawn and like it's so stiff. Like, yeah, the three guards, you could just, it's almost like he copied the same body, except for the one in the middle that's pointing a hand. And like, you could just like swap out their heads, like color forms. You don't even get the sense that they're not all pointed the same, or they're all pointed like the same kind of parallel line, but they're not all converging on two face. Like the third guard, like sort of towards the middle is obviously not pointing his gun at two face. Maybe one of the twins, maybe. But like Two Face has his gun back, but it's like it just looks like he, I it's yeah. uh, it's just bad. It's just badly drawn and composed. Yeah, it is. I mean, the layouts in this are really weak. I mean, it it looks like I mean, I, and I hate to say this about Dave Cockrum, I really do. This is really painful for me to say this. This looks like coloring book art that Mike DiCarlo took some heavy inks to. Yes, that's what it looks like. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it, I mean, it really does. It looks like, you know, and, and, and Mike DiCarlo came in with his, and, and Mike DiCarlo is, 
I think he's kind of an acquired taste. I know some people kind of like him, and he's not a bad inker. It's just his style is just so overpowering. But maybe in this case, he kind of had to. I don't. I don't know. You know, it's because the layouts are so dull, and there's so much. There's many, a lot of panels in this book that have absolutely no background. There's like it's almost like, and I don't think Mike DiCarlo was ever a Vince Coletta type. He didn't. He didn't erase stuff. You know, he put too much. In honestly, he over inked stuff, not yeah. under inked it like Vince Scaletta did. Right. So I, it, it it's it, yeah, it's just really this is a really just 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 a buy the book, buy the numbers, how not to draw the Marvel way. I mean, you know, yeah. it's it's not dynamic at all. You know, I mean, you know the I've had how to draw the Marvel way since I was like in middle school, and you know it it show it would show you how okay, don't show Doctor Strange coming in a door, you know, from the side, no. Show him like a worm's eye view looking up as he throws the door open, you know, right. and this book's drawn the other way. You know, it's drawn, it's drawn that that stayed dull way. You no, know? you're it's, right. It's it, really looks, weird. it looks and, like and, coloring book art or like a, a like a kid's like young reader picture book or something like that. It's yeah. And, and Two-Face plan is just is I mean, I know Two-Face is nuts, but. He's he's more cunning and smart than than this plan. You know, this is a pretty sloppy plan. I mean, his his guys even pointed out, but that still doesn't fix the fact that this is just kind of nuts. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. <laughs> especially since he sent a clue to Batman. You know, which right. is like does, does Two Face? I mean, I know he Two Face like hits things that are number two, like. But does he really send clues to Batman that often? That's more I of know. a Joker Riddler thing. Yeah, that's not. Yeah, but. Uh, Makes sense, but I I, I don't. <laughs> so Batman, I I do like the four panels of Robin taking out the two brothers, punching them kind of like in like the bread basket, and then slamming their heads together when they double over. Yeah, that works. Yeah, Two Face takes the hostage. Robin uses psychology because now Robin is smarter than Batman in order to get <laughs> Two Face to give up the hostage and trade himself because he's like and he's like hey because I'm the second Robin, huh? huh? Can you resist? So Two Face takes him. I do, I do like, and I actually just noticed it now. Two Face's car is, of course, painted two different colors. It's like split, just not like his suit, like where the right side of it is like orange, and the purple side of it, it looks a little bit more scuffed up and beat up, and it's purple. But the, the left side also has the one headlight, um, like turned up or whatever, uh, and it kind of like it reminds me of Two Face's left eye. How like he, like his eyeball is always exposed, like he lost like the skin of his eyelid or something. I just right, think it's, yeah. It's kind of a cool detail for the car, so I like yeah, that. Yeah, that is kind of cool. Yeah, I, w- I wish somebody would make a, like a corgi of that or even yeah. moss. They probably have already, and I just don't know about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That 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 is pretty cool. Although the dialogue, he's like, "Here's my custom two door. How do you like it?" And he's like, and Robin's like, "It's too much." <laughs> it's like, oh God! I know Robin makes bad puns, but come on, dude, you're being held at gunpoint, and he's just like. Stroking his chin in that panel, like, hmm, you know, it's, just, <laughs> it's like he's not even worried about the fact that he's. This just proves how reckless Jason Todd is, right here. I mean, he's not even concerned about the fact that he's being taken hostage right. by two. I know that's his idea, but he should still be frightened. I mean, come on, you know, it's like, <laughs> oh man, <laughs> oh boy. And I, I don't know, you know, Robin jumps out of the car. He, he, uh, well, he hits the brake. He hits the brake and 
And Two-Face, it shows Two-Face, doesn't show him hit his head, but in the next panel, the windshield's cracked, and Two-Face has got a big bloody knot on his forehead. Right. Uh, and he rolls out, and, and Batman pulled up in what looks like Cockrum Drew as the Batmobile, but Adrian Roy recolored it to match the script where he says he commandeered a civilian car. Yeah. So, because it looks like the back of the Batmobile they've been driving, so, you know, I don't know, but... Oh, <laughs> uh, Yeah. And I don't know about you, but the 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 ending bit. Okay, did I? Robin's like, did I flunk the test? And he's like, hardly. The other Robin would have done the same thing. You really are two of a kind. You fired Dick Grayson. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't good enough to be Robin. The nineteen-year-old man you fired wasn't good enough. But this kid's just like him. But he's okay. But he's thirteen years old. <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling uh, that's, that's not going to be something we can fix. <laughs> I, I don't think so. I think we're just going to have to move along with that. I mean, that, that's the whole thing. I mean, when you fire, I mean, that the whole, I mean, the old, I don't know, I'm going back pre-crisis, but yeah. when Dick Grayson quits being Robin and Bruce Wayne's already adopted Jason as a partner, I mean, as his ward, I'm sorry, then, or whatever he was, he was in the process of adopting him, then... You know, the natural progression of things is Jason Todd becomes Robin, even though Bruce wasn't even sure he wanted him to become Robin. But he kind of, over the course of like a year, he eventually becomes Robin for officially, you know. And that, I mean, yeah, that worked. I mean, within the confines of a comic book. Yes, you can scrutinize that to death, too. But this one, you don't even have to look right. I mean, it's right there in front of you. you know? right. So it's. No, it's the original sin of this of this era is that they they tried to change the origin. They forced it very quickly with logic and reasoning that just does not hold up under any scrutiny. And then they keep falling into the trap of reminding us that the logic doesn't make any sense. Right. And, and speaking of no logic, Batman didn't encrypt it in the back computer in any way, so Jason wouldn't see that his dad was killed by Two-Face. <laughs> <laughs> it just pops up as soon as he clicks Two-Face. Oh, by the way, you know, he's thought to have murdered his uh, accomplice, uh, Todd, you know, so uh, whatever Jason's dad was his first name. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Willis Todd. Willis Todd, yeah. So, <laughs> so, uh, so okay. yeah, we end this one with a cliffhanger because Two-Face stories have to be two-parters. Uh, and that'll that'll pick up on the next issue, the next episode. Uh, the good news is we only have two more Max Allen Collins issues to get through, um, and and then we'll be done. So, uh, any final thoughts about this one before we put it to bed forever? Uh, I, I will say this, you know, despite our criticism, I do think this was an improvement over the last two. I mean, we're still we're we're still connected to the massive flaws of those two. Unfortunately, like we said. Uh, the, the, that penguin story in the annual was, was really good though. Uh, I, I, I hate to say this again. I'm still thinking, you know, I don't want to throw off on Denny O'Neill, which I, who I have tremendous respect for, but I just don't think, you know, I think we got to point some of the blame at him because I don't think Collins got the editorial direction he may have needed to, to write a, a comic book in this period. And, you know, um, to fit in with what else was going on in the DC universe, you know, to, to have it not seem like not a hip, uh, reverent throwback, but just an actual old fashioned outdated approach, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I, I think, 
I think there's some editorial weakness uh, still going on here too. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And it's again, this is one of those things where O'Neill is so beloved, but this this isn't a good look. Um, and you wonder, like, I mean, we kind of heard that maybe he was brought on pretty late, like they thought Len Wein was going to stay the editor of this series for a little while, and then uh, Denny O'Neill came in. And maybe Denny O'Neill didn't think it would be that long-term of a gig, so he wasn't really thinking long-term. But I don't know. From issue to issue, like in terms of Batman Year One to what came after it, it feels very discordant. Like there's no connectivity. And from book to book, Batman to Detective, it feels the same way. So it's just, yeah, you got you gotta, a lot of this failure I do think you have to blame Denny O'Neill for. We yeah. will see. It, it, things will get better. It'll, it'll take a little bit, but yeah. things will get better. So. Yeah, they will. They will. Yeah. Um, we'll see if they get better in a couple of minutes. Maybe we'll see. <laughs> um, you'll have to keep listening, folks. But for now, we're going to take a short promo break. When we come back, Detective Comics five seventy seven. Stick around. Image Comics formed in 1992 by several creators unhappy with their current place in the industry. So they band together to make a new comics company for a new generation of readers. Creator-owned mutants, cops, black ops government agents, demon-possessed, and they are going to be the greatest comics ever. In April of 1992, the first issues hit the stands, and fandom resounded with cries of... Pouches? Why are there so many pouches? pouches? What? You don't like pouches? All the Pouches, an Image Comics podcast, is one fan's exploration of those early years of Image Comics. Youngblood, The Savage Dragon, Spawn, and more, with maybe even a few pouches along the way. So come give a listen at johnreadscomics.com. That's John with no H. Just so you can spell it right. Okay, we're back, and as Ryan pointed out, we're going to talk about Detective Comics number 577. According to Mike's Amazing World, it was on sale May 26, 1987, and had an August cover date, just like the Batman issue. On the cover by Todd McFarlane and Pablo Marcos, we have the orange background and trade dress of the previous two covers, but this time Batman and his voluminous cape is embracing the statue of an angel atop his parents' grave, his smoking gun in his hand. Dried wreaths surround the monument, which is full of bullet holes. So what do you think of this cover, Ryan? Of the four covers in the Year 2 series, this is my favorite. There's still something about it that I don't like, though. And I think maybe it's the fact that the statue is, like, the focal thing, and the statue is meant to 
in terms of color wise, it's it's washed out. It's just white and gray, and that's the type of thing that you would usually put in the background. So putting that up front, um, it covers like most of Batman. You just see his head and his hands, and really all the rest is just cape. Something about it makes me not like it that much, but I also don't think it's bad, and I do think it's the best of the four. And I can't really say more than that. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, I think Batman is tired and he's resting on the angel because he just can't support the weight of that cape anymore. I think that's <laughs> <right>. <laughs> no, no, all, all kidding aside, artis- artistic excesses aside, too, because this is definitely Todd McFarlane and his wonderful cape. Uh, I, I think it's a pretty powerful image. It it symbolizes the crux of the storyline probably better than anything we've seen so far or will see. I think you're right. I think even though I love Alan Davis and the idea of Batman holding a gun on that cover is is like it's an iconoclastic image of Batman. So it works. Um, I think this one kind of sums up the story better. So mm. I think this might be the thematically if not execution wise at least thematically the best cover yeah uh so yeah i think it's strong i like it better than mcfarland's other two covers for sure so yeah it's not a it's not a bad but i i see what you're saying with the white angel and and it's kind of interesting i think it's interesting that they had the added effect of the the bullet holes being in the angel right so it just it, it, it that says a lot about you know bruce's you know his faith and his 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 resolve and like everything's just shot to hell you know it's basically <laughs> his his whole reasoning is is kind of got holes in it right now which you know so it's it's uh yeah it's, it kind of works i kind of like it the plaque i've never noticed this until now the plaque says martha and thomas wayne yeah i don't know if i've ever seen her name listed first like yeah well obviously Obviously, he cares more about Martha based on, you know, BBS. <laughs> but, like, but yeah, I think I've always heard it, like, whether it, whenever it's been written or I, I think I've always seen it as Thomas and Martha Wayne. I don't know if I've ever seen her given first name or top billing. Right. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Hmm. I hadn't either. Okay, you ready to jump into the story? I suppose. Okay. <laughs> Batman Year Two, Chapter Three, Deadly Allies. Mike W. Barr was the writer. Todd McFarlane, the penciler. Alfredo Alcala, the inker. Adrian Roy, the colorist, of course. John Costanza, the letterer. Denny O'Neill was the editor. And even though there's, I don't think there's actually a credit for this, Batman was, of course, created by Bob Kane with Bill Finger. We all know. Uh, at his parents' grave, Batman contemplates his recent actions, taking up the gun that murdered them. He wonders if he must become a killer like those he fights against, if he must work with the very man who sent them into the cold ground. His self-reflection is interrupted by the ever-present Dr. Leslie Tompkins, who continues to chastise Bruce Wayne for his nocturnal lifestyle, especially since he turned to potentially lethal force and threw in with his most hated foe to stop the rampage of the Reaper. When Batman tells her he hasn't prayed since the night his parents died, Leslie says she will pray for him. Batman meets with Joe Chill, his parents' murderer, and the two case a building guarded by armed sentries. Batman talks Chill out of shooting the guards with his Mauser pistol, and Batman disarms them and knocks them unconscious without killing them. As Batman preaches the use of fear to coerce people into doing what you want, Chill notes the gun Batman carries. He tells the Dark Knight, I used to carry a piece like that. And Batman answers through his gritted teeth, is that right? The two then bust in on a hippie drug den. They encounter and fight more guards, including one with a hand grenade. Batman tries to talk him down, but Chill just shoots him before the Cape Crusader's eyes. Batman briefly protests before they make their way to their quarry, the hippie leader Sunshine. 
Chill puts his gun under Sunshine's nose and tells him they have a job for him. Later, as Batman swings off, Chill tells him that they make a pretty good team. The anguished Dark Knight asks, Father, what have I done? Chill then checks in with his mob boss, Mr. Moritz, and his mafia council. He informs them that the hippies will start dealing this Friday night, which will make the perfect bait for the Reaper. Chill agrees that after he takes care of the Reaper, he'll take out the Batman, for an additional fee, of course. Word of the impending drug deal in the usually calm Southville district reaches Police Commissioner Jim Gordon. Gordon also thinks this will interest the Reaper and tells his lieutenant to put together a strike force. On their limo ride into town, Leslie continues to admonish Bruce for his interest in Rachel Caspian, an interest which we discover has led Rachel to reconsider taking her final vows to become a nun. At dinner with the Caspians, Rachel's father, Judson, also questioned Bruce's intentions. Bruce assures everyone that he has dealt with a great deal of pain in his life and is trying to move beyond it, to start over. He declares his love for Rachel and his desire to never do anything to hurt her. Surprisingly, Judson gives them his blessing, and even Leslie feels like her earlier prayers have been answered. Rachel's offer for some after-dinner discussion is turned down by both father and boyfriend since Bruce has an appointment to keep as Batman, the same one Judson must keep as the Reaper. At the Sunshine Palace, an undercover cop disguised as a wino witnesses men unloading ether into the building. He communicates what he sees to the nearby squad car of Jim Gordon. What he doesn't see is the Reaper approaching. And on a rooftop above, Batman hears the police officer's cries. Batman and his partner Chill respond to the Reaper's presence, as does Gordon. The Reaper enters the building and begins to mow through Sunshine and his men. Batman and Chill, then Gordon and his police force, arrive. Batman manages to knock Gordon out of the path of the Reaper's bullets, but he responds by punching his former ally in the jaw and demanding his arrest. Chill shoots at Gordon with an M16 while the Reaper slices through the SWAT team. Batman takes a gas gun from one of the slain cops and fires it, but the Reaper escapes through the smoke. The masked manhunter warns Chill not to fire for fear of hitting the ether, but it's too late. The wall of the building explodes, and Chill is left dangling from the edge, asking his partner for help. Batman flashes to the memory of Chill murdering his parents once more, but eventually pulls him up. The two swing off, and later Chill denotes the chaotic events of the night, giving his partner a pep talk about doing a better job next time. As he walks away, Batman cradles his gun and once more talks to his father, swearing that once he's killed the Reaper, Chill is next, and he'll know why. So what do you think of this chapter? All right. The big picture, when I started to read this one after you know, months uh, between the last one, I couldn't honestly remember why Batman had to team up with the crooks and why he had to work specifically with Joe Chill. Um, I had to kind of like go through and like refresh my memory and everything. And I don't like it, but I do like the idea of Batman having to compromise his very hard line stance and work with criminals. Um, Because the Batman that we are used to, the Batman that we see today would never do that. You know, the, the Batman, like, with those right. hard and fast rules and everything like that. And th- part of the things about this podcast is we are going to watch this evolution of a Batman who becomes the type that would have teamed up with the Joker in an issue of The Brave and the Bold to transitioning over to, like, this very hard-line character who won't touch a gun, won't even look at a gun, won't work with criminals, everything like that. This, this hard-liner. But I like this story that's sort of in between that forces him into this uncomfortable position where he has to work with bad people, where he has to work with a killer, somebody who's 
whose just main you know methods are to just walk in and shoot up people. And for whatever reason, Batman can't just put his ass on the ground and can't just like break his nose and stop him or whatever like that. Batman has to suck it up and live with it for some reason, just because I want to see what effect that has on on the character and how it strengthens his resolve over time. And especially, I also like the idea, because Batman has to do this, it puts him on the outs with Gordon. And now the PE, the Gotham Police Department don't trust him. And you put them into conflict like that. I think those are good story ideas. I don't believe for a second that this particular story has earned those moments. I don't think this whole thing with the <laughs> Reaper was enough for Batman, like, based on his first encounter with the Reaper, he's like, I'm going to use the same gun that murdered my parents to take this guy down. And then after the second failed attempt to capture him, I'm going to work with criminals, and the ki- the guy who murdered my parents, I'm going to partner with him to take this guy down. No, the Reaper it has not earned that level of the Batman's attention and Batman compromising himself like that. This story yeah. is not that story yet. It Barr hasn't put it in yet. It's not there. A lot of really cool ideas, but the pieces don't hold. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I think I think I think I think you know you made you made some really good points there. I, I think that type of story is worth exploring, but I this one just doesn't want to hang together. I mean, it just doesn't. It doesn't. The motivations just don't seem like they're there, and. It doesn't help that in this one, it feels like some some time has elapsed. And we don't have the date stamps. You pointed that out last time, that we don't have the date stamps that we did in year one, you know, that tells us this this scene happened on February 24th, and then the next scene happened on March 13th or whatever, you know. We don't have that, so we're missing, and it feels, because we don't have that, it feels like we're missing things that we should have seen. And for one, what just right off the bat, there's some there's some things that just... Like, okay, if you buy all the stuff that Batman has done, why would he tell Leslie that he's working with the man who killed his parents? Why would he share that information with her just so she can nag him more? I mean, you know, it's just. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, did he come home and say, hey, I met my parents' killer. We're buds now. You know, I mean, it's just like this, this things like that. You know, it's it's. It doesn't have the problem that the Max Allen Collins does. The dialogue seems true. It's it's well written. It's just it it it, it is exciting. Even though Todd McFarlane's art is a little amateurish in spots, it does have a lot of energy. Todd has never not had energy. I mean, he brings energy to the comic page. I mean, you can say what you want about the way he draws, but the guy does some exciting stuff on the comic page. I mean, sometimes it's the detriment of later comic pages, which we'll get to. But this is a lot more alive than the other comic we just covered. I would agree. I think, they're, I think they're almost opposites. I think the Batman issue that we just covered, the story makes sense, but it's boring. This, yeah. story, this story, I think, is exciting. It's got flashy plot elements and flashy art, but it doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> like, right, right, the plot right. Doesn't, the plot doesn't hold up. So in, in one sense, these are opposite types of stories. Yeah, it, it's it, it, and again, it's coming from the same editorial office. So, again, uh, Denny, uh, kind of sleep at the wheel here, buddy. Uh, it feels like uh, we'll back up a little bit and get into little specifics here. Uh, we, of course, we have the front piece that we've had in year one and year two. Uh, this time, Batman is a statue. Uh, he's seen as the statue on one side is the Reaper, on the other side is Joe Chill. There are two buildings. 
with huge crosses on each side for the Reaper and chill. So it's not subtle at all, you know, but it kind of mimics the cover with Batman taking the place of the angel statue. So uh, kind of works. Um, who, uh, did you have any thoughts is, on that? Who's designing these buildings in Gotham City to look like crosses? I, I don't know. What? Maybe they're trying to keep out vampires or something. <laughs> Peter Cushing? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't know if that's really supposed to be there, or, or you know, it's like, is that like the headquarters of a huge church or something? Or, yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, it's 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 really strange, and that. That figure of Batman with the statue, it, it almost looks almost all Alcala. It doesn't look like hardly any McFarlane there to yeah, me. True. But, but the, the Reaper looks all McFarlane, oddly yeah. enough, so that's kind of weird. Um, uh, the large double-page panel on uh, page two and three with Batman staying at the cemetery is another one that Bob Kane swiped yep. or had someone else swipe in 1989. So. Yep. <laughs> yeah, we, I think we talked about that I too, think he basically yeah, we talked about that last time. He basically combined part of the cape here with the silhouette of Batman from the other issue and, and basically made that one image that you see a lot in 1989. So, uh, And, of that, course, his the, cape the, is ridiculously huge. Right, the dynamics of that cape and how large it is. Like I, I think I, And as much as I love Norman Brayfogle, we pointed that out. Like it, Sometimes he does ridiculous things with the cape, too. But this, this looks like a tarp that covers a pool, a swimming pool in your backyard or something. This, <laughs> this cape just doesn't work. Having said that, that's a really cool image of that. Like I, I, I wish they had toned down the cape a little bit like that. But like the detail on the cemetery and the the trees, the barren trees, like without any leaves and everything like that, and the giant full moon in the background, I like that image. That whole two pages, but the cape is distractingly big. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it it looks tattered and not just scalloped. You know, it looks like it's like ripped up or something and but it is it is i mean all uh, you know all maybe it's because I'm, i've looked at a couple issues of this and i'm past being stuck on alan davis but i, I i'm kind of there's a part of me that's remembering why i like this art so much back <laughs> in the 80s you know <laughs> forget there's covering a, up a, a swimming cool pool factor there that cape yeah, is yeah. what they use to cover a baseball field when it starts to rain <laughs> see what it was was batman was standing at his parents grave and is like Adam West length cape and, and the tarp blew off the baseball field next door and just smacked him in the back. That's what... hey, <laughs> like, oh, this okay. looks pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bitching. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. So we get the, the panels beneath that really cool panel. We get a recap of the bat coming through the window. We get Batman holding the gun. We get a shot of Joe Chill shooting the Waynes, which is basically a redraw by McFarlane of a panel that Alan Davis drew in their Batman origin issue. Was that what issue detective was that? That was right before year two started. So that was what, 574, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a redraw of that. And then, oddly enough, the last panel where he's talking about working with Chill is a panel from the very end of this book. So. That's really weird. It's like a truncated version of the last panel in this issue. Oh my god, so, I never noticed that. You're right. Yeah. What the heck? So Batman's what? flashing forward. Apparently, I never. Yeah, I never even looked at that. I, but like, you're right. I was like, who the heck is walking away from him in the background? And you're right. That's Joe Chill. Like, what? What? <laughs> Batman knows what's going to go down. He's just, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's just really strange. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then, then Leslie Tompkins shows up, and I know Bruce is acting like an irrational nut in this story, but 
God, Leslie Tompkins is a nag. We <laughs> and we never see her do anything in any of these bar stories but nag at Bruce. I mean, even in the 574, she saves Jason's life, but she's just beating Bruce, browbeating him to death the whole issue. I, you know, we have no moments with her when she's not busting Bruce's balls. And since we are now know, you know, you know, we, we Batman's still the protagonist's book, so it makes her really unlikable. I know, I know that Batman, he needs a talking to, honestly, mm-hmm. but she's just, and I think part of it's too, like we said, we're not, if it was coming from Alfred, I think we'd accept it a lot more. Mm-hmm. But this version of Leslie is new, and the character was never used that much anyway. And it just seems like, who is this old woman, and why is she constantly just, like, wagging her finger at Batman? <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, it is one of those traps where she is absolutely right, but we don't want him to listen. To, we don't want him to take her advice, because we want to see where the story plays out. It's kind of like one of those things where, like, the person who is morally correct and, and justified comes off as kind of like a, a nag like you're right like but it's like because we want to see we want to see the character do the bad thing and and like because that's where the tension is and that's where the story is so we're kind of just like shut up just stop, stop being the, the jiminy cricket on the shoulder you know stop being the angel on the shoulder be the devil right right yeah exactly <laughs> uh batman's whole logic about becoming a killer and working with chill and the mob to catch a killer is very shakily put across as we as you well put early in here so uh you know and it, it and when he's talking to leslie it's like i can understand why she's not buying it and honestly i'm not buying it either so <laughs> so <laughs> So what do we think of the portrayal of Joe Chill when we get to see Joe Chill? I wanted to ask you about this because who is this guy? What is he capable of? What is like like the way he's portrayed in this, it's like he's like the DC character the vigilante without a costume. Like not like the the Wild West one, but like the one that's basically like a mercenary like punisher type of thing. Like this guy Adrian is, Chase. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like this guy has been like trained in like how to fire like machine guns he's got like this military like style and everything like he's he's acting like he's almost he's almost batman's equal he just doesn't wear the costume it's like wait what who the hell is this guy supposed to be (laughs) he was just like a junkie mugger who murdered the waynes like for like 20 years ago what the heck is this thing like i i had no idea and there are like panels like later on towards the end when we see batman leaping off the building when they're going to the ambush and Joe Chill is jumping off the side too, but it's like, is he holding onto a rope? Is he swinging? Like what, what is this guy? I don't, who is Joe Chill? I don't know. I was going to say, it's like, he's like this, uh, like this action movie hitman. You know, he's yeah. like, just like you said, he leaps from rooftops. He, he's, he's holding on to the, uh, uh, fire escape ladder and swinging from it. And, and it, 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 he looks like a homeless guy. Yes. I mean, the way they, they the way they draw him, he's got draggled, bedraggled long hair. He's got the flat cap, uh, which we actually got some feedback on that. What to call that thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's got the flat cap on, and uh, but but he, he but he he his look doesn't match the way he's portrayed, nor does it match what I think of as Joe Chill. I mean, even when he was. In the continuity, they revealed that the the pre-crisis continuity, they revealed that he was hired by Lou Moxon, who was a gangster that Thomas Wayne ran afoul of when he wore the Batman costume. 
you know, he hired Joe Chill to kill the Waynes. That was, you know, in the continuity eventually. And even then, I never got the fact that that he was anything more than a thug that, you know, would do a random job. He wasn't like this expert hitman. He was just he was just a, a criminal that was willing to do anything for money, basically. And uh, later, when Batman caught up to him in the the old pre-crisis continuity, he had worked his way up to running a smuggling ring, smuggling wanted criminals uh, across state lines. And that I could kind of see because that doesn't take any kind of like near superhuman skill level or uh, lots of training. You know, it just takes right, right. kind of a knowledge of the underworld. So I, I could buy Joe Chill in that way. But I have a hard time accepting Joe Chill as this, like you said, this vigilante, this this almost like Henry Ducard. I was thinking uh, the exact same thing later in the comics. Yeah, I was thinking the same yeah, name. I was almost like, like, like Henry Ducard. Ducard. Like, <laughs> yeah. what qualifies this guy to like work alongside Batman this way? Like, why do the gangsters like pair these two? Like, what is it like? You want to work with us to catch the Reaper? You got to work with this guy. It's like, why? What makes Joe Chill that special? And it takes away from Batman being the victim, being mm-hmm. created from a random crime. Because right. if this guy's like this marksman, that why was he just out – if he wasn't hired by somebody, why was he just out robbing the Waynes? I mean I guess, yeah, he could have fell into – you know, this expertise over the next 20 years or something, I guess. But, you know, because Bruce was like, what, eight or whatever. But yeah, but still, it just doesn't it just doesn't fit like who we think of Joe Chill as. I would have rather Joe Chill have been like a lieutenant in the mafia that Batman had to work with or something, you know, like like he wasn't this expert man of action uh, sh- uh, sniper that yeah. basically is. He was just like underneath Mr. Moritz, the guy that Batman – he made Batman work with to work out how to take down the Reaper or something. I think that would have worked a lot better. Or if this character was just a random you know, criminal assassin brought in to help take down the Reaper. Like Again, there are elements of the story that I think work, but I don't think this has to be Joe Chill. I don't think Batman needs the gun that murdered his parents. These are not important elements of the plot. They're just these weird things that are supposed to compromise Batman – in a way that I don't think really works. Um, but on right. page on page five, you know, after he meets with Joe Chill and they're climbing up the fire escape to get to the roof of the building, on the, the second to last panel on the bottom, Batman is pointing out, like, the lookouts on the uh, building across the... Joe is standing up there next to him. The cape is billowing out around both of them. I'm like, if the wind caught that cape, it would knock Joe Chill off the roof. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. <laughs> That's funny, yeah. (laughs) Speaking of capes, on the next page, there's a really cool image of, uh, it's like the fourth panel, Mm -hmm. Batman coming at the guy with the machine gun, and he looks just like a big giant bat. Yep. You can see the shape of his cape. And the next panel, he's punching the guy, which is kind of weird because he's he's punching the guy, but the guy's like upside down now, like with his head pointing toward Batman's feet, which I don't really understand. But Batman's like not holding on to a bat rope. He's just like he's flying. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I guess maybe he's gliding down, and he's and he's smiling, which is kind of odd. But right. But yeah. And then we get that shot of Joe Chill hanging from the fire escape or whatever he's hanging from, and he's his his long hairs flapping. He looks like some kind of action hero or something, which is just he's like homeless action man or something. I don't I don't know what. To do what kind of gun is Joe Chill holding? He is holding a Mauser. <laughs> is there anything significant about that type of gun and this story that we can go back to? Funny you should ask, because the <laughs> Mauser 
was the gun that Barr and Davis originally intended Batman to carry. The gun that uh, Chill had murdered the Waynes with that young Bruce picked up that he kept inside his parents' picture frame for 20 years. Uh, and then he pulls out to use in this storyline. But because Dave Mazzicelli had drawn a 45 type automatic gun that had been used since the 1939 origin, uh, they were forced to change it, or well, actually, Dick Giordano went in and redrew it in every panel that uh, uh, Davis had done, and that's why Davis left the book. <laughs> so I wonder if this was always going to be, if if Chill was always going to carry a Mauser too now, or they were both going to carry the same gun, or did they change it to the Mauser since now Batman was carrying the more traditional looking 45. Or if Todd McFarlane heard the reason why Davis left and then gave Joe Chilla Mauser just as a big middle finger. To... <laughs> I got your job. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I do like the bit, though, when Chill says, I, I used to carry a piece like that. And the look on Batman's face as he answers to gritted teeth, that's a nice panel. Mm-hmm. I mean, Batman, it's just all silhouette. All you see is Batman eyes, his mouth, and the gun, because yep. everything else is black. And he's like, is that right? You know, it's just like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> the top of page seven. This is one of those things for, like, comics out of context. If I just want to take that panel, because what is happening is Joe Chill is about to kill one of the guys, and Batman wants to stop him. So he picks up the M16 and throws it. At the other guy that Joe Chill was going to shoot, so like it takes him down so Joe doesn't murder the man. But if you just look at that panel, it looks like a ghost is is like pointing an M16 at Batman. And Batman is diving out of the way shouting no because of the way it's like pointed. It's like it looks like the gun is floating by itself about to shoot Batman. What the hell is going on? You're right, right. And it, you know, and it, and it, that's a good the gentleman ghost is there and he's gonna yeah, shoot Batman. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 then and then when the the gun hits the wall behind it hits the guy and knocks him out what would keep that gu- i mean i'm surprised the gun didn't start firing and just kill batman you know <laughs> go back and shoot him or something but yeah it's yeah that that's a good that's a good point him just uh yeah uh and what is the deal with sunshine so i don't think does any characters or any any does this exist in reality i mean apparently he isn't a dealer he just has a heavily guarded hippie commune they've got machine guns they got grenades uh they just stay inside and do drugs they don't deal i mean because apparently they're not an issue that the police even care about they like stick to themselves over in southville so what why are they heavily armed and guarded mike Barr's idea of hippies (laughs) is very different than (laughs) Everybody else who has ever lived. <laughs> when, I, when I think of hippies, I think of Woodstock. I don't think of hold up in an urban city with machine guns and weapons and what? Yeah, this is this is almost as bad as the Collins drug deal where the college guys got the suit, the bow tie on in the suit. And it's like, we're looking to get some drugs, you know, <laughs> and the dealers are going to beat them up. <laughs> right. Rather than take their money. Yeah, it's just yeah, exactly. It's just yeah, it's this weird like, you know, if this was uh, give me that Star Trek, Siskoid would put in that I'm talking about you, <laughs> you know, Charles Napier with the hippie thing. I, I, I wish you I wish we could because I love that. But anyway, uh, <laughs> the way to Eden. You know, yeah. but yeah, it's it's really it's really weird. The dude has the the one big guy. His answer is to hold a hand grenade 
pull the pin out and hold it. You know, it's just like, you know, or he hasn't pulled the pin out, I guess, because it doesn't go off. But it just really, you guys, I mean, what are you guys doing there that you've got to have machine guns? Because you're not dealing, you're not selling, apparently. You're just hanging out doing drugs. Why are you armed? I just, I just, this is the most, in a comic book full of a guy with a huge, ridiculously huge cape and a bat costume and another guy dressed like a medieval armored Grim Reaper running around killing everybody. This is the most unbelievable thing in the whole book. (laughs) 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 Oh. Uh, but and Batman doesn't seem too choked up over kill just chill just killing this guy right in front of him. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's of course this is the this now we got to say bars Batman. <laughs> this is Mister. I use other criminals as human shields. You know, yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, and then Batman sets up these. Apparently, yeah, they're doing illegal drugs, but apparently they're not hurting anybody but themselves. Batman goes along with setting these people up as bait for this homicidal maniac. <laughs> I mean, I know they're druggies, but they're still human beings that haven't probably committed any crimes other than maybe illegally owning like uh, assault rifles and crap and stuff yeah. like that. So, I mean, it's like, uh, you, it's, it <laughs> I have a whole lot of problem with that. It's like, I know Batman's going into a dark place in this story, but wow. I mean, (laughs) I wanted to ask you about one thing, though, in this on page nine, page nine, panel six, uh, where uh, Chill's saying our query ought to be back here somewhere. There's a weird white shape that's near the door, and it looks, I don't know what that's supposed to be. Is that, I wonder if that's supposed to be Batman's cape. Now that I'm looking at it, and it's supposed to be flowing in front of Chill, not, and yeah, and it's not and they colored. Yeah, and it's not colored right, and they didn't connect the line over to Chill's hip. I bet you that's what it is, because right now it looks like a piece of paper is falling off the door or something. Right, it's really weird, but they they colored it or they didn't color it actually. So it's I guess they left the color out of it, but it's, yeah, and I think you're right. There's one line that's missing, but yeah, I I mean that would be my guess. I think that's the best guess. It's part of the cape. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, uh, yeah, uh, the anguish on Batman's face uh, in panel six on page ten is nice as he asks his father what he's done. I think that's that's a pretty that's a pretty sharp panel. I, I, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we get back to Mister Moritz, who continues to look like a banker from the 1930s or an FDR cosplayer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> So, I, you know, not a whole lot to say about that, but unless you do. But uh, we get enough of Gordon to just remind us that he's in this story and that, yeah, you know, where he's at with Batman and the Reaper. And and then we're right back to Leslie, you know, yeah. giving Bruce a hard time again. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, so what do you think about this whole exchange between the Caspians here? And Bruce. So I, I had a lot of problems with it because, again, like we're finding out some time has passed. We don't know how long. Um, we're getting like further into the relationship between Bruce and Rachel. Now she's not going to become a nun. She's obviously committed enough to Bruce, or or maybe she read Batman Damned and she saw what he's got. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, like... <laughs> The way – this is the thing, like, the way he talks about her, about being committed and, like, being in love and everything. is like, I don't – like, 
is this true? Does he really love her? I I don't see the romance there. I don't see the relationship. Like, what is he willing to give up to be with her? Like, and I just I, I don't know. I this fails on every level when you compare it to Mask of the Phantasm. <laughs> it's like, yes, yes. I mean, when Bruce is standing in front of this is before he becomes Batman, of course. But when he's trying to get into crime fighting, he's standing in front of their grave and says, "It just doesn't hurt as much anymore." You know, it's mm-hmm. like. Damn, that was like the greatest line ever. You know, it's like that filled the hole. You know, his love for Andrea filled the hole. And then, of course, she leaves and then he ends up becoming Batman. So which I'm hopefully going to get to see that in a theater this this week. I hope I hope I don't know. Yeah, but uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, we're going to get to Mask of the Phantasm when we get to this end of this book, but uh, this storyline. But yeah, you're right. I mean, and it's just so Rachel, she off-panel decided not to become take her final vows to become a nun. So one – well, something more than one kiss may have happened. I don't know. But one kiss from Bruce apparently in the last issue, as far as we know, was enough to make her quit. So, Or she did read Batman Damn and said, <laughs> damn! You know, uh, <laughs> and he's rich too? Wow. He's the full package. And I mean that you know, in many ways. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, and I also don't buy that – I mean, Judson Caspian is obviously a real hard ass. We know that. I don't see him being easily duped by Bruce's rather flimsy speech. I mean, you know, I mean, this guy, this is the guy that just, you know, he's going to go out here. I mean, he'll just walk out into the street and just start killing random people, kills cops, doesn't care. You know, Uh it's like I don't see him even without the costume on being okay with Bruce you know, basically taking his daughter away from something she committed to. And he was really proud of her before. And it's re- way too nicey nice, I think, you know, and, and I'm with you. What how, do we, what does this mean for Bruce? I mean, is he he doesn't seem to be making any concessions for the relationship. In fact, he's like going over the deep end into his Batman role rather than pulling back from it. So. You know, and why is Leslie buying this? Because she's all happy. She knows Bruce is still pistol packing Batman. I right. Mean, you know. Right. Ah, <laughs> uh, I don't know. But the bottom of page fourteen, uh, we get like the two panels side by side. Like after Bruce and and Caspian, they both tell Rachel that they've got to go that night. You know, they've got other things to do. Ha ha, because they're gonna go be vigilantes. And she makes the joke. You know, well, how do you like that Friday night? And a girl can't get a date. And then we cut to both Batman and the Reaper, you know, getting their gear up. And Batman has this very Superman-style, like, shirt rip to show the bat symbol underneath. And it's like, okay, that's kind of, like, a cool thing. Until you realize, wait, he's got the cowl on. Did he put <laughs> Did he put the cowl on underneath his shirt? His tuxedo shirt? Like, where, how's the mask on his face when he was wearing the tuxedo over it? Like, Todd, do you know how clothing works? <laughs> and the cape's there. So where yeah, was, was the like, cape like the cape like tucked up underneath in his pants? You know, it's like they think Bruce got a huge butt or something or what? <laughs> <laughs> All that McFarland cape tucked into that tuxedo. Just imagine that. Oh. <laughs> it is a cool. I, I have to say though, I, it is a cool image, and and it it looks very Mike Mignola looking. That bad. I mean, mm. it's because it's. I mean, if you didn't tell I me, mean, it looks, it looks, you know, because it's so, it's all blacks and the way the bat symbol's big and everything, it looks, it looks very Mike Mignola to me. So, but it, yeah, but it doesn't make any sense at all. But it's still, it's still kind of, a, 
I must be warming up to this because this stuff isn't bothering me as bad as it did last time. I don't know what it is. Uh, I'm getting uh, used to it, I guess, or something. I don't know. (laughs) All right. So there's this ambush um, for the Reaper. The cops have set this place up. The Batman and Joe Chill are going to this place. They've, They've got these sunshine, these hippies, like heavily armed, like a militia, because that's what hippies do, um, mm-hmm. and all this stuff. And you've got this homeless cop, uh, or like a home, like a, an undercover cop posing as a homeless vagrant, just sitting out there. And the Reaper comes by, walks by him, and we don't see it. It's off-panel, but he murders this guy, this cop. Mm-hmm. Did the Reaper know he was a cop, or did he just slice up some random homeless guy who walked by? Ah, uh, that's a good question because we don't see him interrupt him. He doesn't come up to him when he's talking to Gordon. Mm-hmm. So I think you're right. I think he just kills this random homeless guy. <laughs> or he thinks he's with the, the, the drug guys or, you know, the druggies or something, the drug dealers. I, I don't know. That's a good question. My my question is on page uh, 17 on the panel, the second to last panel, the the guys are like, thought I told you to lamb bump rummy. And you hear, you did. So this is the Reaper walking in. He is dressed like the cop. So we never see what Gordon finds out on the street. We just see him, like, looking at where the guy was killed. We never see a body. So did the Reaper take the guy's clothes, put them on over his armor, (laughs) and walk in there? Because in the very next page, it shows him, you see the shoulder of his armor and his cape and he. Now, he may have the hood in that silhouette. It kind of looks like he might have the hood on. But So did he put the guy's clothes just over top of his Reaper armor for its... its... I, yeah, I don't know. Like, I... Like, yeah, this doesn't make sense. There's nothing about this makes sense. This entire setup, like, with the ambush. Like, every page I turned, I was like, wait, what? Like, yeah. this would have made a little bit more sense, like, if, like, the Reaper actually had, like, the scythe through this guy, and he was kind of, like, walking him up, like, almost using him as a shield, and, like, they saw him first, and then when they get closer, like, oh, God, it's just, like, this Reaper guy holding this dead body up. Something right. like that, but that's not what yeah. the art is conveying. And I'm still looking at the panels above that where Batman and Joe Chill are flying through the sky from, like, rooftop to rooftop, because <laughs> they're not holding onto any ropes or anything like that. And it's like, oh, okay, Batman can glide... Joe, I don't think your little taxi hat can help you glide from building to building. <laughs> he's dropping like what? Let's see. There's one, two, three. There's like he's dropping like at least two or three stories from one building to the mm-hmm. next. I mean, at least probably if not four or five. And it's like, no, dude, you'd be dead. There's no, there's no way. I don't care if you're like like Joe Chill parkour expert. You're yeah. still gonna die. I mean, it's just you know. It's like, and also another weird thing on a lot of these last pages of this book, Jim Gordon loses his mustache. Yes. Yep. And it, 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 it really surprises me because Adrian Roy had been coloring Batman books forever and will continue to. So I think it's just where McFarlane or Alcala didn't put any detail into the mustache in these panels that uh, maybe she didn't realize this was Jim Gordon. You know, <laughs> she gives him white hair, but. Uh, Maybe she figures he shaved off his mustache in protest or something. I don't know. <laughs> it's it's kind of weird. On page 19, is the Reaper deflecting their bullets back at them with his scythe, or is he shooting? Like I, I don't know how he's killing some of these people. I, I yeah, it looks like he is. It look and he's got guns in his in his gauntlets, you know, in the the mace like gauntlets on there. Yeah, it looks like he's 
Yeah, you're right. It looks like he's deflecting the bullets back at him with his scythe, which is like, dude, you know how fast you have to be? You have to be like the Flash to do that, you know? It's like, and you get that weird panel on that same page where you see the Reaper's chin, which – uh, the way I mean, it doesn't have a bottom like jaw like a skull the way Davis drew it. Like he drew it in the first, like he shows the armor in the case when right. when Caspian opens it. And you see that it's got like a a strap that kind of builds up and kind of makes the jaw of a skull, but it's not like detailed with teeth and everything. But it and then in uh, full circle, I double check full circle when you see more of the costume, it it does. It's like a, like a chin strap that comes up right around the chin and then there's a strap that runs along so you would see the bottom of the face but it looks like like the face just like hangs out underneath the skull here the way todd draws it which is kind of weird looking the action here gets really hard to follow and sloppy it's really mm-hmm. this, is where, this is where todd's amateurish uh todd's newness as a comic book artist falls down yeah because yeah. Jim Gordon looks like he should be dead from where Joe Chill shoots at him with an M16 and he's fallen over. Yeah. (laughs) And then somehow inexplicably, like with like half a dozen cops like surrounding him, the Reaper just cuts through them. Like like, he doesn't get shot or anything like that. Like we don't see bullets bouncing off him or anything. Like we don't know how he kills everybody and doesn't get hurt, how Joe Chill doesn't get hurt, how Gordon doesn't get hurt when Joe Chill is shooting at him with an M16. Like how is he dodging? Like And like where was Batman? Because we go from one panel of Batman almost sort of like stumbling into Gordon to knock him down so the Reaper doesn't kill him to Gordon punching Batman and then Joe Chill shoots at Gordon but Batman's not even in the same panel. It's just really confusing, and then yeah, like, and the whole thing, because that's the only thing to make sense of the chaos. You just have to blow up the entire room. <laughs> right, right. I mean, it's like there's no way to get out of it than that. And Batman, you know, rather than grab a smoke pellet from his belt, mm-hmm. he grabs like a like a tear gas gun, I guess, or something, yeah. Yeah. and shoots it. In, which he doesn't have a rebreather mask on or anything, so why is he not, you know, choking to death? But uh, it, and one thing I noticed just now is on the panel where the Reaper's hacking and slashing. His scythe is missing from his right arm. He's got just a big gun barrel in the middle of it at this point. So yeah. did he take the blade off? And now he's just... Because before it showed it, the gun barrels popped out around the blade, not in place of the blade. So, yeah, this is just really sloppy. In page 21, I think Todd took up way too much space earlier in the book, and it's like he's cramming as much as he can. There's like little postage stamp size. Uh, panels here. There's 15 panels on this page. <laughs> I mean, the whole thing where Reaper's running, Chill's shooting, you see the ether, and Batman's like, Chill, don't! That ether might! And then you see the gun barrel again, which doesn't even really look like a gun barrel, and then boom, there's the big building exploding, but it's like, all those little panels, it's like, did you take up too much space with cape shots earlier, Todd, that we have to you know, put this all on one page? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I, and, then, and then of course we get the repasted Wayne murder scene again. It's like repasted four times on that page. Right. So lots of repasting in this issue. So and uh, again, it's just kind of like uh, it's underscoring this moment where Batman has to save Joe Chill, the man who killed his parents. So it's like Batman isn't checking on Gordon. Batman isn't checking on any of the cops to see if they survive this explosion. He's not doing what you would expect him to do. Instead, his first action is to save this guy. It's like, Oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, why not just let him drop and be over, be done with it? That way, you know, you can say, 
you know, I'm not going to kill you, but I don't have to save you, you know. <laughs> or he could have done the, you know, Captain Kirk from Star Trek Three. I have had enough <laughs> of you. you know? <laughs> I I think this whole issue can be summed up in that one panel that we looked at from 14 with Batman rip doing the shirt rip. It's cool. It's striking. It's exciting, but it doesn't make any damn sense. <laughs> Exactly. Well said. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I really enjoyed. I mean, what's what's really bad is I really enjoyed all of Barr's work that we covered up until this point. I mean, I think it, it's actually one. Him and Davis are one of my favorite Batman runs of all time. They really are. I think I think it really held up well. I mean, there were a few things we pointed out here and there, but overall. It was really, really strong, really a lot of fun, and it's just weird because this is kind of the thing, you know, Batman Year Two is kind of the prestige storyline of that, of Barr's run, <laughs> and it's like the weakest one that yeah. we've covered so far. It, it, it just is, and I don't even think Alan Davis staying on this could have elevated it above where it is. I mean, McFarlane does bring a certain energy and kind of youthful, cool uh, feel to it that it kind of fits this storyline to a point because Batman is so over the top. I mean, he's lost his damn mind with what he's and doing. The villain, he of this piece, a... the villain of this piece is not the Mad Hatter. It's not Joker Catwoman. It's a violent murderer who just chops people up with big blades. That yeah. kind of works for Todd McFarlane's style and his tastes. Yeah, um, it does. Yeah, uh, certainly, I is. think, better than Alan Davis. So, yeah, maybe for this story, Todd McFarlane is the more appropriate artist, but I don't like this story. I just yeah. – like, you're, yeah. you're right. I I had I had some problems, and I uh, most of them were kind of, like, nitpicky with the bar, but I will say the bar Davis run was a whole lot of fun. This story, year two, is running into so many problems and just things that are tripping me up that I can't have any fun with this. It's just, oh, it doesn't work. Right, yeah, it just the motive, the motivations alone are enough to. I feel like Barr wanted to tell the story of why Batman once used a gun because in the Golden Age Batman had used a gun, and I feel like he wanted to retell the story of how Batman confronts Joe Chill and catches up to the murder of his parents, and so he, you know, he put those two things together and filled in the gaps, and it didn't, you know, and then he added this, you know, what would what would make why would Bat kind of like what Byrne did with Superman killing the pocket, back to the pocket universe, the pocket universe Phantom Zone villains. He wanted to show why Superman doesn't kill by having him kill once, you know. And because that played out over time, with Byrne actually left right after that, but that played out over time with Roger Stern and Jerry Ordway and and all the other guys that were working on Superman at the time, it worked. But this just, it's like, I, yeah, it just doesn't. It just doesn't hold together. It's it's exciting. It's not a bad the 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 dialogue and stuff. It's not like the ten ear stuff that we're getting from Max Allen Collins. But it just it's not Barr's best effort by any stretch of the imagination. No. So, but we only have one more chapter to go. <laughs> right. So, right. Um, so yeah. Uh, so, folks, um, we are not doing listener feedback uh, with this episode, and one of the things that we're going to try and do in order to make these manageable for us to uh, to record and to, to get these out 
Um, we're going to start doing two issues at a time, a Batman and a detective, at least for the next couple issue episodes for the foreseeable future. And then after we do about five or six, we'll come back and we'll do an all-listener feedback special. That is the plan going forward, which means next episode we have got Batman issue 411, which uh, picks up after the uh, the Two-Face story with uh, still by Max Allen Collins and Dave Cockrum. And then after that, uh, Batman Year 2, Chapter 4, the end of that saga. So that will be the next episode. Um, I, we're recording these well in advance, so I don't know when it will come out. Hopefully um, a week after you hear this one. But uh, yeah, that's Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> okay, cool. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, everybody. See ya. Batman Nightcast is a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Feedback for the show can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com or the Facebook page for Batman Nightcast. You can find me on Twitter at RyanDaily01 or email me at rdailypodcast at gmail.com. You can find me, Chris, on Twitter at supermatespod or email me at supermatespodcast.gmail.com. This podcast is not affiliated with DC Comics, and the views expressed here belong solely to us. All music, audio clips, or quoted text is used for entertainment purposes, and no copyright infringement is intended. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.